0: And welcome to Ready, Rewind,
1: 2022 edition, as these are, this is our first episode recording in the new year.
0: Yes, hello from the future, or slightly in the past.
1: Depending how you look at it.
0: Yeah, this is our first time back together since September. Yeah. Yeah, so it's been a wild ride for us all. We've been through a lot. We've survived the Omicron wave, and now we're here to bring you a new wave of fantastic content that you've been <laughs> dying for. Twice as infectious as Omicron is this sick beat. All right, play it, Ashley. Hit it. Oh, wait, it's my turn. I
1: was like, what? Am I supposed to beatbox? What did you want? I was like, yes. oh, no.
0: Lay it down. We've been practicing all home. We've been practicing since September. Ashley's just shy.
1: Yeah, I'm just shy. I won't do it. <laughs> what if yeah. I actually was practicing beatbox and you just didn't know it? I'm like, guess what? Guess what? I I learned over quarantine,
0: and then I start. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> is that, is that beatboxing? I'm sorry. I'm sorry to every beatboxer out there.
1: Yeah. Um. Although fun little story. So, uh, in high school, this one kid in choir. You know, he he thought he was like the best singer in the world and everything and he would beat box once in a while and uh he got into an american idol and was totally shat on it was great
0: no way was he one of those bad people who comes in and thinks they have like the hubris to think they should be on american idol and then yes. simon cowell and was like
1: so this was the season where it's jennifer lopez randy i think was still on and like that one like producer oh, guy. randy
0: jackson and they were like no no, thank <laughs> no, you. They were, that that was the absolute chat on, was just no, no sorry. No. And he was just such like
1: this man. Like, he's like, oh, I'm the best. Like, just look at me. Look how well I can sing. And was he our age? No, he was pro. I think he was a s- junior when I was a freshman. So he was a couple years older.
0: Wow. The young hubris. The young but hubris is anyway. there.
1: <laughs> so, Julia, what are we talking about today?
0: Something that's been on everybody's mind and a big 2022 mood. Um, I'm going to talk to y'all about the girl boss, you know, a girl boss as in gaslight, gape, keep, keep girl, boss. girl
1: boss, as in my girl boss playlist that I, on Spotify,
0: you have a girl. drop the link, drop the link right now. We will be posting the link to Ashley's <laughs> girl boss playlist so that you can get in the mood for this.
1: Honestly, I'm proud of that playlist. I don't have to really drop it.
0: Okay. We're going to drop it. Drop it. Spill the back sis. What's in there? All right. So do you all know, in case you don't know what a hashtag girl boss is, a girl boss is a, um, or hold on, a um, she-e-o, an entrepreneur, her, or a girl boss. These are all synonyms. Are women who are trying to get out there and, you know, take the role of boss from men and, you know, kind of get into leadership positions in the corporate sector. So yeah, let's start. Ashley, I think we should start off by taking a you know very millennial approach to this very millennial concept of girlbossing, by taking a BuzzFeed quiz, and we're oh, going to see BuzzFeed. if you have what it takes to be a girl boss or a CEO or a entrepreneur. entrepreneur. Her. are you ready? I'm ready. Because I'm going to take you down a really rough sheet. <laughs> That's girl boss for street. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Which song brings out your inner nasty gal? Like go through your playlist. I'm going to give you some options. Okay. Single ladies, TikTok, not the app, but the Kesha song. Mm. Till the World Ends or Poker Face.
1: Mm, Great choices. I'll probably go with single ladies.
0: Okay. If you were an emoji, which would you be? This is so millennial. The crown, salsa, the poop emoji, or the two dancing girls with the weird ear things?
1: I'll do the crown. That's the least cringy Very girl
0: boss of you. What's your favorite position? The options CEO founder, creative director, editor in chief. I didn't think this is what the direction they were going to go. <laughs> What's uh, your favorite corporate position?
1: Well, I've never had these
0: corporate positions.
1: Um, I'll be the founder. Cause then I can put off work to other people. <laughs>
0: Very girl boss of you. Very girl boss of you. Okay. Which nasty gal outfit are you rocking on a Saturday night? I'm going to describe them for you and for our guests. A red dress. It's a, like, it's shoulderless, but has those weird long sleeve things that cover your arms.
1: Okay.
0: Like a cape style. Option number two is a black and brown bomber jacket with leather sleeves, a band t-shirt, and a mini skirt. Classy. Option Lost
1: number.
0: Option number three. Let me see if I can bring you back in. It's a silver dress, floor length, with a V neckline, an empire waist, and long sleeves. And option number four is just—it's very Elizabeth Holmes, girl boss. It's in just an all-black outfit with a black purse. Hmm. I don't,
1: I like the cape option. I'll choose
0: that. The, the red dress red, with the cape. Yeah. Okay. You're in an interview and you accidentally let up a huge burp, what do you do? Pretend it didn't happen, crack a joke about it, start to cry, or leave immediately. I would do the better out than in. I always say joke for Shrek.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, But I would be super embarrassed, but I would still joke about it.
0: One of these options should be gaslight. Gaslight them into saying, I didn't burp. you
1: (laughs) be like, oh my God, who just burps?
0: (laughs) Keep the burp. I only burp because you can't, and you're jealous of my Sherps,
1: my own RuPaul's drag race.
0: <laughs> Which hashtag do you use way too often? Hashtag blessed, hashtag I woke up like this, hashtag OOTD outfit of the day for those not in the know, or hashtag no filter.
1: I have used the hashtag no filter in the past, so I will do no filter.
0: Wow, Bold.
1: back when like hashtags Who? were a thing, they're not really a thing anymore.
0: It's you. Maybe because you're not a girl boss. Maybe. Who is the ultimate hashtag girl boss? Oh, okay. These options are, what year is this quiz from? This, oh, this quiz is from 2015. Don't ask me questions about what's happening okay. here. That makes which is sense. peak girl boss era. This is 2015 for all of you who are not in the know, which you'll find out is peak girl boss. Who is the ultimate hashtag girl boss? Malala, <laughs> Tina Fey, Michelle Obama. I don't know who this third woman is. Say I really, it. I could not, this fourth woman, I don't know who she is. I couldn't what, tell you. I, I have name? no idea. I, it doesn't say.
1: It doesn't say the name, it just shows the person.
0: It shows the picture. T- 2015 Tumblr is like, oh, obviously you know who this is. Uh, I have no okay. idea. Okay,
1: I'll pick Michelle Obama. Malala is sh- a good option, but Michelle
0: is. You won't let me share a screen so I can't show you. Yeah. All right, we'll go Michelle Obama. Okay. and just just as I had suspected, you're already a girl boss. Ah, Wow, own that. You're Ugh. having the time of your life as a hashtag girl boss by sacrificing early on. You've managed to get to a place where you finally found your groove. Remember to pay for it and help anyone else in need of a hand. Wow, Ashley. I'm so wow. hashtag blessed to know a hashtag girl boss. <laughs> I'm sure your name will go down in hashtag her story. Um, And thank you to Sheridan Watson, Christian Zamora, and Lizzie Farber for this ultimate um, BuzzFeed quiz. Again, the title is, do you have what it takes to be a hashtag girl boss? Let's see what you're working with. So if you want to take that quiz, all credits to them.
1: Am I glad to be a girl boss or no? That's the question. (laughs) Or, oh, question. Do you think that description based on your research so far describes a real girl boss?
0: Yeah, I think that's very much in line with girl boss ideology. And I think whether or not you should be proud of your place in her story as a girl boss, as a hashtag girl boss, hashtag CEO, I think is for something for you to reflect on. Okay. So many of you are probably wondering, you know, what, what really is a girl boss? What is a girl boss? According to an Atlantic article called The Girl Has Left the Building by Amanda Mole, the term girl boss came to the public in 2014, more in the mainstream, but it had been bubbling under the surface in the US for a number of years before that. I think a song that's really emblematic of this era is Boss by Fifth Harmony, where it references Michelle Obama and getting the bag and working your way to the top, sis. There were a lot of, at the time, what seemed like tragedies going through the United States at the time, which I'm sure seems smaller in light of what we're facing now. But just to give you a picture of 2014, we were afraid of Ebola. Mm -hmm. People were starting the anti-vax movement. It was finally starting to, a lot of those folks were taking root and so measles were coming back and Donald Trump was planning his run for president and the Ferguson riots over the unjust murder of Michael Brown were um, also happening that year. So it seemed at the time like the world was facing a lot of tension and we needed a hero to come and save the day. And what hero would come at such a difficult time in history, other than the hashtag girl To save the hashtag day.
1: <laughs> <Stop>.
0: <laughs> what? A girl boss, you might ask. This is a poll from an article in The Cut titled, The Girl Boss is Dead, Long Live the Girl Boss. The trope was infantilizing and sexist for many women and also essential by Samhita. <sighs> I'm going to mess this up. I tried to Google the pronunciation of this last name on Google and I could not find it and it was not listed in the bio. Let me triple check though. No, it is definitely not listed in this um, author's bio, but it's uh, Mukhopadhyay, M-U-K-H-O-P-A-D-H-Y-A-Y. In case you're interested in checking her article out or looking at any of her other stuff, she's a fantastic writer. She defines these women or the girl boss trope as... Coined by entrepreneur and Nastigal founder Sofia Amoruso in 2014, the term "girl boss" became synonymous with hustle culture with feminist light twist, the optimistic, almost religious desire to get ahead at work and in life. Hashtag girlboss is a millennial pink version of Helen Gurley's Brown's Having It All, the living embodiment of Facebook COO Sher- Sheryl Sandberg's order to lean in, the project on its face necessary. The game is rigged against women who are by all measures, as capable as men. So with that call to action and in a time that seemed necessary for some type of change in a time of a lot of angst in 2014, folks were really looking for kind of a way out. And they saw this, you know, project, this call to action as something that was really good. So as I kind of said, it started in 2014 with girls who were like Sofia Almaruso and Nasty Gal. These were women who started Working to become the higher ups on their corporate chain ladders, starting their own businesses, you know, joining MLMs, doing side hustles, you know, creating online businesses. They're doing all that kind of good stuff. They're out there. They're gaslighting. They're gatekeeping. They're girlbossing. On its face, it seems good, right? Kind of like, yeah, Smitha said, it seems good, right? So, how did the words negative words like gaslight and gatekeep get attached to girlboss? Well. Let's look at 2014 to about mm, 2000, let's say 19 ish. There were a lot of very positive feminist things in media that we saw, like the TV show Girls by, you know, Lena Dunham, which is now super cringe. Everyone hates it, no one would even touch it. But at the time, Lena Dunham's girls really reflected a lot of that girl boss energy, the girl who could have it all, who could succeed in life and in love and have a really successful career and be the boss of her own company and doesn't have to settle and who would be able to achieve social change and help other people while doing it. Somebody who would be able to bring other women up with them, who would be able to be their own hashtag girl bosses and make their own hashtag herstory. People wanted to be like the strong women that we saw in American politics, like Michelle Obama. And folks were really optimistic coming in the 2020s that things would be better. But then, but that friends, things got much, much worse, much, much worse very, very quickly. Uh, there were a lot of setbacks and crises that we failed from, you know, 2016 to today when Hillary Clinton lost the 2016 election. I think that was a pretty big Hashtag blow to hashtag herstery and hashtag girl bossing. That was People the downfall like, of girl bossing. I think that was like the big that was a major crack in the system. Because normally a female candidate like Hillary Clinton losing wouldn't be a big deal. But Hillary Clinton lost to Donald Trump. And you might say, I'm offended. I like Donald Trump. Why are you saying mean things about Donald Trump? I'm just gonna run the record of some quotes that Donald Trump said. Oh Donald Bestie, I want to listen to my next episode. <laughs> bestie, if you have a problem. hear hear me out. Donald Trump on the campaign trail was found out for saying that he could do whatever he wanted to women, specifically running for the Miss America pageant. You could even quote, unquote, grab them by the pussy, among other things. He also said that he would date his daughter, Ivanka, because she was so hot, which is weird. There were a lot of allegations by people like during, this is of course, later during this presidency, allegations of assaults, allegations of abuse, which I won't go into because I don't want to there was not a content warning at the beginning of this, and I do not want to get too deep into that and accidentally throw people off. But I think we all know what we're talking about here. So yeah. it was not just a loss of somebody like Hillary Clinton, but it was a loss of someone like Hillary Clinton to the antithesis of what a girl boss would be. To everything yeah. that... It was someone who seemed to start to embody the things that hashtag girl bosses were hashtag hustling, hashtag against. This was a dark moment for her story. And I think that in 2016 and 2019, you saw a lot of breaks in the optimistic way that we thought that women could work together to quote unquote, pull each other up. We saw white women, specifically white suburban women, start voting against other women. A huge break in the voting blocks. White women largely who voted against Donald Trump in 2016 slowly started to turn and support him, which was really hurtful for a lot of women who felt that he was threatening to them or women who believed the allegations that um, he had hurt other women in the past. Also, who supported rights that folks like Donald Trump are trying to take away. For example, folks who are pro-choice, who do not want the Supreme Court justices to overturn Roe v. Wade, that Donald Trump installed specifically to overturn Roe v. Wade. Like it's, It seemed like a lot of feminist setbacks for people who cared about these issues. Also, it, there were things that Hillary Clinton planned to do, like address the gender gap and pay. Women are paid less than men for seemingly no reason in particular, and she promised to address this issue. Obviously, that gap has only widened for all people, not just women, um, during Donald Trump's presidency. Wages have remained stagnant, even into we're coming up on right now, the second year of the Biden presidency. So girl bossing started to take a turn. You would think, wow, wouldn't our hashtag girl bosses be the hero of the day? Why weren't the girl bosses hashtag hustling harder during these so-called dark times? You can't bl- blame all of this on Donald Trump. And I'm not. I'm just telling you the sign of the times, the political culture that girlbossing was in because girlbossing is, <laughs> are we going to call it an economic theory? It's an economic theory. And you can't really separate economics from politics. They are kind of one in the same. And I think that, or- They kind of work so closely alongside one another that I think that you could probably analyze them within the same breath. They go hand in hand. They go hand in hand, like two brothers that go on a date, quote, Avenue Q. So where were the girl bosses when all this was happening? Well, I think we need to talk about who the girl bosses were. Let's go back to Sophia Amoroso. A lot of the girl bosses that we saw emerging during this time, like the nasty gals of the world, were white, college-educated women from middle class and upper class backgrounds. A lot of them held fancy degrees, a lot of them went to fancy schools, a lot of them were already wealthy. Girl bossing was not made for hashtag all women. And though it aimed to pull all their other women up with them, a lot of times in corporate structures, the women who come into places of power, yeah, maybe they can move you up the chain but you will never be able to be as high up as they are because then you're their competition and you're threatening their very own place in the hierarchy. So while they will pull you up, it's not really in a serious way and it doesn't allow women to actually network with each other to help each other out because the other women who are also at your level or even below you or above you are all directly threatened by you or threats to you because you're all competing for the same place in the company and you can't all have it. Corporate structures aren't made to bring people up and to make sure everyone is cared for corporate structures in a lot of way and in white collar environments from what I've experienced. And I don't know if Ashley can go on this. I think corporate structures at their best, have, keep folks at the lower and middle fighting amongst themselves so that they'll never actually work together to get better pay or better wages or better, you know, work-life barriers, but they continue to cut down their numbers, you know, to save on their margins and only increase how much goes to the CEO or, the CEO in this case, and the CEO will stand by as everyone gets pay cuts because it benefits her and she's yeah. hashtag girl bossing and she's <laughs> hashtag getting that bag, like Michelle hashtag Bama. So people were starting to have disdain for the girl bossing. So these were the failures. A lot of these companies like Nasty Gal started to um, kind of get frailed against for the way that they treated other women. In 2020 and 2021, a lot of these hashtag girl bosses actually started to step down from their CEO positions. For example, um, Sophia actually stepped down from her spot at Nasty Gal after a lot of reports of worker abuse and discrimination came out. Wow. There's a really good quote that I think um, summarizes this that goes, the white girl boss, and so many of them were white, set at a unique intersection of oppression and privilege. She saw gender inequality everywhere she looked This gave her something to wage a war against. This is a quote from Stein. Racial inequality was never really on her radar. It was someone else's problems to solve. You can kind of take that and just think about every other intersection kind of attached to that. I think that also kind of looks at things like we were talking about with like wage inequality. Things like actually making sure folks are paid a living wage and cared for when you're already a CEO at the top of your game making six figures a year nine figures a year. The idea that the people below you are being paid less and unfairly isn't your battle. You're only caring about the gender equality. You don't care that LGBT people are being discriminated against. You don't care that your girl bossing doesn't include trans women. You don't care that it doesn't include, you know, rights and accessibility for disabled women. You don't care that it doesn't include anyone else. So Eventually people grew tired and weary and we saw so much backsliding in the past years when it came to women's rights and the hopes that we had for the 2020s and that things would get better. And it's, this seemed to work that women became disillusioned. And that's how I think we started entering our fleabag era. (laughs) This is very popular on TikTok. You see a lot of edgy teens talking about their fleabag era. I think fleabag era feminism really is this nihilist reactionary feminism to the optimism and Hustle culture of girl bossing. It is the antithesis. It is the inverse of being a hashtag girl boss. It is being a flea back girl because what at the end of the day. Mean? So, flea back, if you haven't seen the show, is basically about a woman who is, you know, a mess. <laughs> and she, yeah. Yeah. yeah, she, I don't think we need to get into a whole synopsis of this, but, you know, drinking, she's not really morally straight. She doesn't really have an objective. She's just kind of out there being wild.
1: She sleeps with the priest you know
0: she's just having a good she time sleeps with she's out there fucking it up living an absurdist lifestyle so well because i think a lot of people saw girl bosses as gatekeeping aka gatekeeping power money and equality and access to resources for other women to pull themselves up and gaslighting saying i didn't do that i was trying to help you not taking any accountability for their unintentional hurt that they had on others so now women i think a lot of them are starting to give up and i think that's not just seen in feminism but in all issues climate nihilism is a huge problem Racial equality and idealism is a huge problem. We're seeing this kind of disdain for the hopes that we had kind of bubbling up everywhere, but especially in hashtag girlbossing. And that's how I think we ended up to where we are today. But uh, laying your head down on the pillow and crying and accepting the fall into the abyss while fucking a priest is not always the way that we all need to go down, right? Right. We have to girlboss and hassle a little bit. So what can we do? We have to carpe diem, we have to take the power back, we have to keep fighting. I don't know about you, but I don't feel like sitting around and just accepting the pressure that comes my way. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna keep going. So how can we actually hashtag girl boss and hashtag lift other women up and address some of these issues? Well, we're gonna visit my girl boss, my queen, my love, Audre Lorde. Audre Lorde, if you've never read any of her work, stop right now and go rent Sister Outsider from your local library. Among other things, Audre Lorde is just fantastic. Um, it's like chicken noodle soup for the soul, but like feminist philosophy style. And also I think she writes in a way that's really accessible, unlike other feminist authors like Judith Butler, who loved Judith, love girl, JB, but your writing is so dense, I can't understand the thing you say. Audre Lorde is awesome. And um, the theory of Audre Lorde's feminism is actually really intersectional. Much like Angela Davis, the foundation of Audre Lorde's feminist philosophy is that women can only create because we don't know what a better tomorrow looks like for everybody. We don't know what actual feminist liberation looks like yet. Because we all, women from all the blocks of life and all intersections, need to come together as equals and bring their unique shared talents and their unique shared lived experiences to really examine what fully the oppression is in order to work together and dream and try to find solutions. So we're going to dive into Audre Lorde's um, writing, which I highly recommend you read. You can find it as a free PDF online. It's only three pages called The Master's Tools Will Never Dismantle the Master's House. If you went to a liberal arts college, you might have heard this. Um, I'm happy to link to it. It is a free PDF online. Again, the author's name is Audre Lorde. I highly recommend you go check her work out. So why didn't girl bossing work? From an Audre Lorde perspective, I'm assuming it would be something like this. Instead of dismantling the corporate structure that oppressed women, it just replaces folks in the power, the oppressor power and oppressor position with other women. Kind of like I described before, and your boss is not your friend. Nobody likes their manager. Nobody's like, wow, I love my boss. They get me They are kind of like Ashley said, you don't have to do anything when you're the boss. You just, when you're the CEO, you're just giving your assignments to other people. I don't know how to work in the snappy her. The found her. (laughs) When you're the found her, when you're the CEO, when you're the creative director, you don't actually do the work. You're just giving it to other people. And you're giving it to other people and you're asking them to do the work and in order to stay quote unquote in the black that's a business term for staying in a profit margin if you're in the red you're running negative if you're in the black black you're running positive you're creating a profit the way you generate that profit is by getting people to do work for you that you can't do for yourself for as little money as possible so you're trying to pay them as little as you can and get as much work out of them as you can in order to create a good product or as much product as you can to put into the marketplace to earn a huge profit. And then a lot of that product profit ultimately goes to the boss and not back to the worker. And because you know, you're trying to make money for yourself, not for other people. So when women entered the pot position of a CEO, found her, what they did is they just replaced that man with another woman. And now women are still being exploited, still being paid less on the dollar, especially black women, especially women of color, especially disabled women, trans women. They're still facing all of the workplace discrimination. There are no workplace protections for trans women, by the way. And disabled folks still struggle. I mean, not just disabled women, but disabled people in general still struggle. You know, the job market is so ableist and there, there's just a lot to unpack there. And I'm trying to, I want to, I want to touch on that, but also know that like, in this, podcast, this 30 minute episode, I don't have enough time. And also as an able-bodied person, I should not occupy the space to educate you on this. So I will try to find a resource to recommend to you guys later. Maybe we'll post it to social, but there, there is a lot there to unpack. Obviously it's not my narrative, not my, my right to share, but there is just a, a myriad of discrimination against disabled um, women and disabled people in general. Queer people did not get workplace protections until very recently, which is, again, at risk. Girl bosses didn't actually work to change any of the structures or help people become more equal in their workplaces. They just put women in the oppressor position. So inherently, they were not going to be able to actually help anybody or bring anyone up with them. This brings me to my next Audre Lorde quote. What does it mean when the tools of a racist patriarchy are used to examine the fruits of the same patriarchy? What does it mean that the tools of a racist patriarchy are used to examine the fruits of that same patriarchy? It means that only the most narrow parameters of change are possible and allowable. When you look at the fruits of the corporate structure, only using the tools that we use to examine that corporate structure, when you're only examining the corporate structure from a, a CEO position and you just change it to CEO, you know, very surface level, you're just putting a woman in the place, but we're still looking at it as in, okay, my company's staying in the black. We are, you know, we have high productivity margins. We're still putting a lot of content out there. People are buying our stuff. When you don't look at it from a different standpoint from just that year, if you're still using sweatshop labor, if you're still using bad environmental practices, if you're still underpaying people, you're underpaying women, Specifically all the women of these deeper intersectional minorities, only the most narrow margin of change is possible. You're the only thing that you're going to be able to change is maybe instead of a see heo, you get a see sheo. Like you're not really going to see any real change. It doesn't allow for actual conversation or any of these address routes to be addressed. Furthermore, putting women in positions of power where they're exploiting other women beneath them doesn't actually give power to women. It just gives power to a select few privileged women to take the power from other women beneath them. You cannot help bring other people up and empower them while also taking power from them in a corporate structure. You can't say work for me, compete with other women for my job, but don't get too close for me because then you're competition to me. You can't have that corporate structure, that oppressive competitive corporate structure and say that you're bringing women up with you because you're still wielding power over them and you're not allowing them to be in the full power because you're not paying them enough. You're not allowing them to speak with you and work with you as an equal. You're not allowing them to enter that workplace as an equal. They're not your equal. And let's talk about having power over people versus having power with people. I think Huey P. Newton from the Black Panther Party um, talks about this really well in his work, Black Capitalism Reanalyzed. And the quote starts here. When we coined the expression, all power to the people, we had in mind emphasizing the word power. For we recognize that the will to power is a basic drive of man, but it is incorrect to seek power over people. We, the Black community, have been subjugated to the dehumanizing power of exploitation and racism for hundreds of years, and the Black community has its own will to power also. What we seek, however, is not a power over people, but the power of control of our own destiny. So basically in that quote, what he's saying is, if your only drive is to have power over people, to be a CEO exploiting your girl boss army you're not actually allowing them to have their own will to drive their own destiny because you're actively taking power away from them and you're not actually working to bring anyone up. And the only kind of feminism and empowerment that could be dreamed of this way is women who are at the top of the privilege hierarchy in the female community, white women, white middle-class college educated women who have all able-bodied, who live at this intersection of privilege and womanhood. Kind of like Audre Lord said, they're not able to dream of a better tomorrow for all women because they're not consulting dif- women that live differently from them. So Julia, how do we organize to take this down? Let's re-examine Audre Lorde. So from the same essay, Audre Lorde has a new quote. Okay, I'm going to frame this up for you guys. So basically Audre Lord thinks that in order to find a more liberating form of feminism inequality all women of all different walks of life need to work together and base their understanding of what reform what change needs to happen what deep structural shifts of change need to happen by working together and dreaming together and basing that understanding of oppression and societal change in encounter with one another, not in, you know, academic theory, but really through understanding one another, being with one another, being in community with one another and dealing with the uncomfortable conversations, conflicts and joys that come with that. So the quote reads, advocating for the mere tolerance of difference between women is the grossest reformism. Difference must be not merely tolerated, but seen as a fund of necessary polarities between which our creativity can spark a dialectic or conversation. Dialectic, I'm just summa, giving you in case I don't know that word. Only then does a necess- necessity for interdependency become unthreatening. Only within that interdependency of different strengths, acknowledged and equal, can the power to seek a new ways of being in the world generate, as well as the courage and sustenance to act where there are no charters. So let's break that down. First of all, you might say... Okay, Julia, what is interdependency? In this essay, Audre Lorde's interdependency, basically, and the way Audre Lorde kind of thinks about identity, as I mentioned earlier, is the way to address the symptom of hypercompetitiveness in the workplace, which that hypercompetitiveness, again, is used to keep you from working with other people in order to take that power back from your CEO. The answer to that is interdependency, which is not only a necessity, not in a toxic, like codependent way, but like. It's a necessity to figure out how the world works around you and kind of, you know, move move ahead in society. So we all need each other. And it's just a pragmatic acknowledgement of that. You can't dismantle the system that oppresses you and everybody else by only working by yourself. You need to work with other women and other women whose walks of life are different than you. And those differences are not competition. Those differences don't give people an edge over you. Those differences only work to strengthen the group of women that are fighting the system and help build to a better justice. So hating and shitting on different types of women, not being like an other girl, blaming other women, hating them, excluding them is different than critiquing and trying to engage in productive, healthy dialogue and, you know, leaning into uncomfortable conversations rather than shitting on each other. (laughs) So trying to find a more healthy way to be together, which again is super complicated and, you know, in reality, the practice of that is very difficult and that is not lost on me. But by figuring out the, our own interdependency and finding those differences as strength, is the only way that the power can seek new ways of being in the world to generate courage and sustenance to act where there are no charters. Because some, for some of these solutions, we know what needs to happen. We know that collective bargaining works. We know that we need to different ways that we can, you know, make our workplace more accessible for others. We know that trans women need and queer people and Women of all walks of life need legal protections in order to ensure that they are valued, they are given equal pay, aka their work is valued as equal, even though they're doing the same amount of work, just as capable as men, that they are respected in the workplace, and that they are you know, able to function as a normal person and is an equal. Those rules need to be put in place. But a lot of these things, I think, because there has been a lot of dialogue and specifically intersectional dialogue, We don't necessarily know, there are no charters, there is no plan. We don't know what that necessary change has to look like yet. So that's something we're all going to have to dream of together. And I think right now, when we're at a point of nihilism, this depressive state, it can sometimes function as like a period of calmness where we can sit down and really reflect on failures of girlbossing and kind of maybe use this moment to actually come together from all different walks of life to actually figure out what necessary change and how we want to organize to be together. And that's not going to be comfortable. It's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be easy, but it's something that's necessary for us to move forward. We're really at a do or die time for progress. And I think now is the moment. So let the frustration out, you know, write hate mail to your local CEO, whatever you need to do to get out that negative energy and let's recuperate and come back and start dreaming of a new world because obviously working with the master's tools, looking to find that corporate structure is not going to be what frees you from the oppression that women see in the workplace. Being a CEO is not an answer, and it's not going to reflect well in her story. So you got to pull yourself up by your boot she-apps. And I'm just kidding. I don't know. This is, I'm trying so hard. I can't, I can't make it work. Ashley, I really want it to work. I don't know how to use it. (laughs) Boot (laughs) she-apps. Your she-apps, your your girl boss she-apps. I don't know. Anyways, is this inspirational? carpet that diem.
1: I would say if you are inspired, in, like you want to be an entrepreneur, entrepreneur one day.
0: Entrepreneur her.
1: Oh, sorry. That's be better. Right. Anyway, <laughs> um, honestly, I think the movie 9 to 5 does a really good job showing like what a good girl boss could be because like Jane Fonda's character in the whole movie while the boss is kind of like, you know, uh, tied up, kidnap, you know, this it, it, it's, it's not the important part of what I'm trying to make here. But <laughs> they actually look to like their fellow women workers and be like, what can we do to make the workplace better? They She was doing stuff like offering part-time jobs to women who are mothers or even like a little daycare center in the building. Since this was, it's placed in the 80s and this is a lot of time where mothers working, they're not staying at home, they're actually going into the workforce. By the end of the movie, they take the time to make the workplace better and more, like, women-friendly.
0: I think Dolly Parton understood, though, and I think a lot of Appalachian people, because of coal miners and coal mining activism, you know, look it up, was actually really cool and progressive and awesome. And this used to exist all throughout the Rust Belt, but we knew that our bosses were shitheads. And instead of wanting to be the shithead boss, we all wanted to work together as workers to make the workplace better for us and to get equal pay and be better compensated for what we did and get compensation that you have a right to. Yeah, Workers' rights reform is not communism and very much is a real part of American history. And it's insulting when people call collective bargaining a communist tactic when it's very much a part of like my Appalachian narratives as like a person whose family is from there. And Dolly Parton is also from that same part of the country. So she gets it, of course. So stop calling union people, big commies. This is not the podcast for I critique capitalism, but I think we need to understand that for economics, yeah, yeah. Laws of fair economics is a very extra radical form of capitalism where there is zero market regulation. And I think you saw this in the early twentieth century. And that's how we ended up with a lot of things like the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fires, where a bunch of women died. A bunch of girl bosses died that day, going to do their hustle and try to make their hashtag bags and be, you know, their own version of Michelle Obama, whatever that was in the 19th century. I don't know. Gibson girls. They all wanted to be Gibson girls. Um,
1: uh, Alice, I think her name was Alice.
0: Uh, they wanted Lita to be Rose. Susan Anthony. Yeah, and oh.
1: Theodore Roosevelt's daughter was very much a feminist and, like,
0: be like, dad. Yeah, so back in, so when the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire happened in the Gilded Age, a bunch of young girl bosses died that day because there were no regulations on the workplace because workers were not allowed to collectively bargain to protect themselves and get good working requirements and get breaks and actually not be in a sweatshop where they're all crammed in together and dying. And we see that in the United States and we see that everywhere. So when hashtag girl bosses in the United States go and work at a sweatshop in China, it's like, okay, you're not actually against exploiting women. You're just against men exploiting you and women like you that you identify with. And because those women are women that you see as an other, you're okay with them being oppressed in the name of your own benefit. And that's why I think we see a lot of the nihilism and disillusionment that we see today. Yeah. So having completely unregulated form of capitalism does not always work. And it is a very much a reckoning we had in the early 20th century in the United States. And I think that common sense things like collective bargaining that have been utilized for a long time in our country, um, you know, are, they're good tactics that we can all go back on and rely on. So be a true girl boss and support your local union and women's education union. Yes, your vocational and also uh,
1: girl-led programs and things like that,
0: like the yes, young young um girl bosses always in the rising young girl bosses rising like um women's all women's education, the Girl Scouts. They're awesome. I mean,
1: they're very much a girl-led organization. Also, like just women programming in general.
0: Respect one another.
1: Yeah, respect. Aretha Franklin once did say. R-A-S-B-C-T.
0: Yeah. And I think that if you ever enter a dialogue with another person.
1: Especially one that does not look like you or think like you.
0: And might say something to you that makes you uncomfortable. We just like do a whole thing on uncomfortable dialogue and we'll expand on this. But my advice to you is to take a deep breath and to instead of immediately being reactionary and freaking out and getting defensive, maybe breathing through it and asking questions to try to better clarify why they feel that way and where this is coming from, what parts of their lived experience and try to, instead of reacting in that moment, maybe take some time and space to reflect and then come back to it. And a really great way to, you know, find out and, you know, kind of learn more about women's experiences that aren't your own. And this was something I got from my awesome multicultural psychology class and my professor. I studied psychology in college for new listeners, um, was to diversify your Instagram feeds, your your Twitter feeds, your TikTok feeds, with people who don't agree with you, to people who don't look like you, who aren't from the part of the country you're from, who have different lived experiences than you. This will really, it's a really good way to kind of start to expose yourself to these ideas and do a lot of unlearning without the emotional burden of them having to do that teaching with you in person. You can you have more freedom to take the time and space to reflect and kind of begin your work in, in your own time. So that's my big recommendation. Pro tip, decenter yourself from conversations like feminism that are bigger than you and will outlast you. Pro tip, destroy your ego. Pro tip. I'm just kidding. Anyways,
1: pro tip, unlearn everything you have learned.
0: Start a Breathing and fine dining. Fine <laughs> dining. Girl bossing in there. And one day you'll go down in story.
1: Girl boss responsibly.
0: Yeah, don't let your crown slip, girl boss.
1: And also uplift others' crowns.
0: Yeah, in like a genuine way. Lean into the uncomfortability of intersectional dialogue and realize that conflict is not abuse that's the title of a very good book i highly recommend you all read it
1: already well thank you all for listening and all of our socials are listed in the description below and until next time ready rewind